Today, we welcome back Galaxy's Alex Thorne. Make sure you stick around for why Alex believes ETF flows might be stickier than Bitcoin held on a cryptocurrency exchange. And also when Alex believes that Bitcoin ETFs will become on the menu of some of the largest financial advisors in the world. Welcome back to the Bitcoin layer. I'm Nick Batia. Today, we welcome back Alex Thorne. He is the head of research at Galaxy. Galaxy is a sub-advisor to Invesco's Bitcoin ETF. They are one of the new nine Bitcoin ETFs that has been approved. A disclaimer here at TBL, the Bitcoin layer does not offer any investment advice and we are not endorsing any individual security whatsoever. Today, we have Alex here for informational purposes. He's going to walk us through ETF mechanics, how these things work, and we're really going to try to extract as much information as we can to understand really how these things work. Alex, thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah, Nick, thanks for having me and just echo your uh, disclaimer here. You know, nothing in this podcast from me constitutes investment advice or an offer recommendation or solicitation by Galaxy or any of its affiliates to buy or sell any securities. Absolutely. That's my disclaimer for my podcast. I figured I'd offer it here. Thanks for having me, Nick. Of course, of course. So I want to start with your take on the launches. How have they gone? How has this Bitcoin ETF uh, event gone for uh, for you from your perspective? Um, I would say it's mixed. I think it's positive overall. I think, you know, if you look at pure flows on what the Bloomberg guys call the newborn nine, so the XGBDC, then sure, it looks good. Um, there's several billion now in AUM in those new vehicles. Obviously, the grayscale fees, which they didn't po post in their S1 until I believe Monday of the launch week. Um, are sufficiently high that they're driving fair, fairly large redemptions. And as far as I can tell, you know, we're recording this on Tuesday, January 23rd. Um, they're still accelerating, as far as I can tell, the, the outflows from GBDC. That's a significant overhang. Um, so I would say from a, from a marketing, from a, I haven't seen any major failures. I mean, operationally, they seem to be running pretty well. But, you know, I'm in the camp that thinks that what, inflows we've seen have been anemic, frankly, or at least not sufficient um, to stem the the bleeding that we're seeing elsewhere. I know, I know the Bloomberg guys say that it's net, you know, billion or so like, but I, I don't really believe that's true. I think we're seeing outflows from other products or per, perhaps even outflows from spot BTC into the new ETFs. Um, obviously, that I think is playing a role in the, the recent near-term price action we've been seeing. The Bitcoin layer is proud to be sponsored by River. Go check them out today at river.com slash TBL for a special offer of up to $100 worth of Bitcoin for free when you sign up. Now, River is a Bitcoin-only exchange. We believe them to be the best in the business, and they do not use a third-party custodian. They have their own multi-signature solution a one-to-one -one situation that means that there's no leverage going on whatever bitcoin they purchase is held in this multi-signature solution zero fees on recurring purchase orders as well river.com tbl so we we talk about some of the overhang here we will get to the positives i want to point viewers and listeners to our research letter at the bitcoinlayer.com subscribe 
because today on Tuesday, we'll be airing this on Wednesday. On Tuesday, we just posted something called why is GBTC killing itself? So it, you know, what we see here is a fee much higher than the rest. And we see outflows. We'll get a little bit more into GBTC here in a second. So I want to get to one of the core questions that we've had from the audience, the mechanics of how these things work. When the, when the shareholder buys a share of the ETF, how much time does the ETF have to purchase the Bitcoin to hedge that purchase? When does that Bitcoin take delivery? Walk us through some of the most basic mechanics here of when the buying happens in the spot mm -hmm. market once the buying happens in the ETF market. So if you buy, let's say you buy a share from a secondary market, right? You go on a, you buy, if you buy a share from someone who's selling, then it may create no net buying or selling at all. Um, and just before I get to the specific question, let me play that analogy out further. If throughout the day, an exactly net zero amount of shares are either created or redeemed or have changed hands in a way that there's no net incremental new demand for shares and no net incremental uh, supply of shares as in, right? So the, the number of buyers and sellers is equal. The shares are flat at the end of the day. Then there will be no Bitcoin bought or sold by the uh, funds themselves. In the event that you're an AP and let's say you receive an order in the secondary for someone who's buying shares at the market through, say, your marketplace. You're, I don't want to name any of these in particular, but let's say you're an associated, uh, affiliated party and you um, also run a brokerage firm, right? So now you have you're selling, that person wants to buy shares of an ETF, and now you're selling them shares that you hold, right? By definition, these, these market makers are long the shares that they make markets for. So now you've given shares to away, now you're short shares effectively, but you can only create new shares at the end of the day. Um, so what you do is you basically hedge throughout the day to cover that. So let's say at 9.31 a.m. after market open, there's a massive demand to buy shares. You're giving those shares to those buyers. Now you don't have shares. Um, so what you're doing is you're probably shorting spot underlying, say through CME futures to cover yourself. You can only create them at the end of the day, right? So for example, some have a cutoff 2.30 PM, 3 PM. Uh, Grayscale, I believe is the fix for Grayscale, which is what they call it is one minute, 3.59 to 4 PM. Um, that's when you can lock in a price to create new shares at. So typically what we're seeing is the, the price will be created for the new shares. The nav will be struck, right? Well, they'll agree upon what the price of creating new shares will be at that window. Um, and then they'll go out and buy from three to four. If it, let's say it's a two thirty or three o'clock fix and then three to 4 PM, most of the funds will start buying again, assuming that it's net inflows um to match the shares that were just created right by the ap's so um the simple answer is that typically most of the buying and selling is happening between 3 and 4 p.m eastern um there's some some differences um they're not all the same like i said you know just using grayscale as the example my understanding of how it's working because they're not fixing the nav until 359 they're actually just going to place their order with their execution agent, whoever it is that's buying and selling for Grayscale, um, the actual Bitcoin, not the share creation. Um, and then that order is going to carry until the next day. So that they're, whereas APs and other execution agents are going to try that have more time during the day to fix and then buy or sell. 
because there's a set right at the end, right at market close, um, they're basically locking in the orders on day zero and then delivering spot Bitcoin to their execution agent on a T plus one the next day. And then their execution isn't actually happening until the next day because they've run out of time to do execution because of this one minute fixing window. So I know, I know it's complicated. They're actually all quite different. They have different times that they strike the nav. They have different um, times when they buy and sell, but mostly it's when you buy a net new share, it's typically not being actually the underlying spot is not being filled to back that share until later in the day before market close in you know, New York time. Okay. So what we're talking about is a, uh, Net impact, well, let's just say this. When the you're talking about, so spot buying occurs at 4 p.m., approximately between 3 and 4 p.m., depending on which ETF. The spot buying occurs in the afternoon. However, throughout the day, there's hedging activity so that the ETF managers are not naked short Bitcoin at 3 p.m. versus, let's say, in the morning. And... Therefore, even though that trade might happen in CME futures, it's in the market, right? And we have to remind people that even though there are spot markets and futures markets, there are arbitrageurs at all time trying to close the gaps between those prices. And so, Alex, what, what are you saying that essentially when the shares, if new, if there's demand for new shares, meaning that will be creation at end of day, and the ETF managers can see that on a net basis that we will have aggregate, aggregate demand for Bitcoin during the day, even if it's in the CME market. Yeah, that's how it should be playing out. Um, that is the actual construct. And it really is these APs that, that create and redeem. They, they have an idea of, how, of where the day is going to end by the time they get there, right? So they, they have better information about how much they do need to hedge throughout the day because they see the creates. They, they're the ones who will have to do the create and they're tallying it up throughout the day to see where they think they're going to land. Um, despite that, we've seen... I've watched, I mean, I haven't watched every single day, but on, on many days, literally looking at the one minute chart from for Bitcoin spot between three and four, you see sort of a slight buildup um, right until that close and then and then somewhat of a sell off. Um, so, yes, that that is right. Absolutely, Nick. Like if you're the, the delta, as we say, should be flat. Right. The whole point is that um, it's not like everybody sits around doing nothing and then a giant pile of money comes in and buys or sells at the end of the day. The caveat, I would say, the reason why it's been a slight run up during those buying hours um, and then a dump is that is that grayscale fixing window. And we know their their net sell. Right. So every day at the right by the market close, when everyone else is buying, grayscale is selling and they're selling a lot. Right. So it's it's hard to hedge that amount. And and there are some other interesting intricacies of the CME futures market um, that that mean it's not perfect. I want to say it's not yet perfect. I think this is something where um, we'll, we'll get tighter as we go on. But, you know, these are still early days. Keep in mind, something like seven of 10 of the ETFs are all using Coinbase Prime as their execution agent as well. So it's it's sort of one venue, right, for, for a lot of them. You know, I, I think Fidelity is using Fidelity Digital Assets, I believe. And, you know, Invesco is using Galaxy. But I think pretty much maybe all the others are Coinbase. So 
they regardless of whether they're hedged or not, that execution market is receiving a flood of buy and sell at the end of every day, right? And so that is right, though. Just the short answer is yes. It's it should be delta neutral, meaning that there there the market should be a generally have it already expressed what the price of Bitcoin is intraday. Now, one follow up to that: what is the discretion in timing? to remain delta neutral of these ETFs. What is the what is their allowance here? Well, again, like in terms of actually hedging the creation and redemption of new shares, that's the APs, not the funds themselves. Um, the funds uh, are just going to come in and run that execution whenever that window is right. So they they um, they'll they'll see a, a net creator, a net redeem of shares in the early afternoon and then go out and trade it. Right. And I think I don't know the exact amount. I think they all specify a different one. Most are basically free to trade to create the to make sure their ETF, their new shares for the next day correctly track the spot price of Bitcoin, you know, in an hour or so, like leading into that um, market close. So but the APs, I mean, they they have plenty of discretion. They are wearing risk when they create shares at 931 and all of a sudden their net short shares like they can like any principal desk is my understanding. They can wear that risk however they choose to. The vast majority will basically short spot knowing that they have um, and they can do that. I mean, however it is, they can do that. Right. Which I think for most of these traditional broker dealers that are APs is going to be through CME futures primarily because it's a large and liquid market and it's available. Um, but like theoretically that they could, they could wear the risk any way they want and in order to not, you know, blow themselves out intraday. Okay. And so just for back to basics for the audience, the authorized participant refers to which entity in, yeah. in uh, let's just use BlackRock's as an example. Yeah, so so BlackRock has JPM. Um, I think they may also have Jane Street. Um, I, the tables, I, I, you know, the the James Safart tables are already fading in my mind. But it's basically broadly firms like JPM, um, Virtu, Jane Street, um, and a, and a couple others. They're they're well known market makers and and authorized participants for these and and many other ETFs, including equity ETFs and a whole bunch of other stuff. Right. Their job is to typically to see the demand for creating a redeeming shares and deliver. If this was an in kind ETF, they'd be they'd be buying and selling Bitcoin and delivering it to the funds. Um, in the case of an equity, for example, you take an equity index, take like SPY for an example, right? Like they're going to go and deliver a basket of securities directly to the fund manager um, that is proportionate, correctly proportionate to how the fund should be balanced. Um, but in an amount on a rolling basis based on the demand or, or, or supply, I should say, of the of the share creation or redemption net right so in this case though they're only able to deliver cash right so they're they're basically giving shares out as needed in the day so that there are sufficient shares right the, their ability to deliver net new shares throughout the day is what helps the intraday etfs track the spot of bitcoin correctly if they don't have it if there aren't enough shares um they won't be able to the the, the funds will trade at a premium if a huge amount of demand comes in um, so this is why they're by definition net long shares. They're holding a bunch of it's almost like with Tether, if the audience follows the Tether thing where they say issued but not authorized when they create a billion new Tethers, but they haven't actually released them into the market. The, the market makers, these authorized participants are holding shares waiting to send them out. And if they end up 
running out, then the thing effectively will trade at a premium because they can't create until the end of the day. But then at the end of the day, they will create the new shares as needed um, and it will come back to track at the correct price, basically. And the reason that the ETF structures themselves have the authorized participants separate from the fund managers, again, back to basics, is the reason they have them separated uh, is what? Well, one, the the funds have a fiduciary duty to maintain to to manage the actual assets in the funds, whereas the um, so so they're they're contracting it. I actually don't know the the history, Nick, of how this came apart, but you can imagine that the firms that have insight into the demand in the market versus a traditional asset manager that might otherwise just be out here by themselves. Um, there's operational reasons. There's potentially conflicts reasons why it's separate. Um, the the issuers themselves are all asset managers, um, but the authorized participants um, are for the most part broker dealers, right? So it's there's regulatory separation for that reason too. I can't actually say from a historical perspective where that arose from though. Now. And it doesn't need to be from a historical perspective, Alex. So you, what we're trying to get is that from a regulatory perspective. Having these functions separated makes the vehicles right. more suitable for a retail investor in the eyes of the SEC. Uh, once again, yeah, that's right. And this, 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 I think, and I don't know, but this idea of cash create redeem versus in kind create redeem. Now, all the issuers want in kind create redeem. It's much more efficient for them. They also then don't have to trade Bitcoin at all, right? Like, it gets delivered to them by some expert. The thing is, um, current SEC regulations don't allow broker dealers to touch Bitcoin. Um, the chair of the SEC might push back on that and say, well, actually, we have approved one to touch it. It's called Promethean. Um, there's a whole saga related to that one. But as far as I know, they're not operational. So if you want the world's biggest, best authorized participants to be able to play in these ETFs, you have to say that cash create redeem is allowed. Um, whether it should be the only thing that's allowed, there's a there's a possible future where you get cash and in kind. But if it was in kind only, which by the way, many mo, mo, like I said, most other equity ETFs create and redeem in kind to the AP, um, then broker dealers wouldn't be able to play at all, right? So, um, and in order to gain some of that regulatory um, certainty construct separation, you want broker dealers to be able to play. So there's a little bit of a chicken and an egg here, like broker dealers are saying we want to play. The SEC saying you're not allowed to play. Actually, what they're saying is you can play if you get a special license called a special purpose broker dealer license, which they've only given to one broker dealer that no one has ever heard of. Uh, but even then FINRA, which also regulates broker dealers, also doesn't really have any rules that allow broker dealers to touch Bitcoin. So this is why they went with this cash create redeem method, but it, that creates inefficiencies um, and costs. So it's it's not ideal. Um, but it at least allows um, the the SEC and in general the complex to have that regulatory separation today. Um, I would bet that eventually we get some modification here or guidance from the SEC that allows traditional broker dealers that already exist, not weird random ones that no one's ever heard of, that allows them to touch Bitcoin. And then you'll see these issuers, if they can, move to a cash or in-kind create redeem. And then, because um, the point is, is if they launched with in-kind today under current regulatory uh, rules for broker dealers, you would basically have a bunch of broker dealers playing, but then doing all the activity in like a non-BD affiliate. 
Galaxy, one of Galaxy's units is in charge of the liquidation of FTX bankruptcy assets. So can you walk us through what role Galaxy has there? And if you can, the effects on the market, because uh, maybe you can tie that also into what is happening with GBTC? What's the big picture? Are they killing themselves? Are they just trying to find their legacy position and ex with an acceptable amount of outflows? Is it a conspiracy from the SEC to let GPTC's fees remain high so that it drives money out and distributes it across the other ETFs? A lot of good questions. I mean, I so first, I mean, just some background on Galaxy. We have a variety of business units, right? A capital markets business, uh, an infrastructure business, and an asset management business. So the asset manager has a variety of uh, products. They have private funds, right? Galaxy Bitcoin fund, um, and, and a bunch of others. Um, they have venture and active funds. They have a fund called Liquid Alpha, which is, you know, again, this is a fund you can subscribe to as an accredited investor or whatever the rules are that says that fund is actually benchmarked to Bitcoin. So it's trying to find you alpha over Bitcoin, right? Um, but they, they also do, that is an actively managed fund. They do active management, including for third parties like uh, bankruptcy estates. So when the FTX bankruptcy was going, or I guess it still is technically going, right? But there was a bidding process um, and where asset managers bid to, to have the ability to advise the estate as a financial advisor on what to do with these liquid assets. There was a bunch of tokens there, right? There were some equities, there a bunch of stuff, and I haven't looked at this in a long time. So Galaxy Asset Management won that mandate to serve as the financial advisor for the FTX estate's liquid portfolio. I know that's a long statement. Um, so that what that means is that they are acting like any financial advisor to an individual or a business would, right? Helping to determine what to do uh, for the as a fiduciary for the FTX estate and this portfolio. Um, and that 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 could mean a variety of things. Right. And, and, and I should point out, like in our capital markets business, we have Galaxy Digital Trading, which is a large OTC spot derivatives trading business lender. Um, and there's a strict wall between asset management, Galaxy Asset Management and Galaxy Digital Trading. Um, and so in terms of the specifics of what it is that Galaxy is or isn't advising the FTX estate or what the FTX estate is or isn't or may do, I, I really don't know. And I and I can't. And if I did, I wouldn't be able to speak to it. So um, but I will tell you to transition to the other question. Right. Um, the goal of the estate in any bankruptcy is to maximize value for the creditors. So obviously that is a core value proposition for their, that is a core, the core role for the financial advisor, right? They've, they've hired a financial advisor to help them figure out how to maximize value for the creditors for various parts of the portfolio. Um, in terms of GBTC, yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of, lots of people own this thing, right? From individuals, from six years ago, eight years ago that had no other way to long Bitcoin in their traditional portfolio um, to corporates and in some of whom are bankrupt now. I think in terms of the, the real the real thing, I you know, some people have asked like, and I've been expressing a relatively near-term bearish view for about a week now uh, publicly. Um, but why, why didn't we say that before when I came on the Bitcoin layer a couple months ago, why wasn't I saying it would be a sell the news event? And, I, and I'm quite sure I, 
and maybe I, I hedged a little bit because I I'm, certainly wasn't sure, but I, I didn't think it would be dramatic. And, and, and part of the reason is um, I, I really think of this now as a sell the structure event, not a sell the news event. I don't think sentiment has, has changed. Um, but what happened was on that Monday, uh, now I guess two weeks ago or so, um, Grayscale updated their S1 and said they were only dropping their fees to 150 bips. And they had been at, what, two? Um, and that's not competitive with these other vehicles. And so um, I don't know. I mean, you know, if you're remotely active, unless you're either dead or asleep, which is fine, you can have a long Bitcoin view and just be willing. Maybe you've been eating those fees for years and you're still up and you just don't care. Like, um, but a large number of people are going to look at that fee and say, wow, I really should not be in this vehicle versus the others, perhaps. And so you've seen huge redemptions and and we really didn't. I mean, I think if theoretically speaking, if they had come in at a fee that's competitive with the other nine, I mean, you, you may not see any redemptions at all. Right. So, um, you know, there are there were structural people playing an arbitrage tra trade. OK, you'd see probably those redemptions. But um, at this fee level, it, it it it's not competitive from a fee standpoint. Let me just say that. Um, and so, yeah, I don't think there's any conspiracy. I don't think the fee is illegal or anything like that. So it's not like allowing it to, but I, but you can imagine some modeling here. I mean, they asked uh, Michael Sonnenschein, who's the CEO of Grayscale. He was at Davos, I think last week. And I saw an interview he did where he said he wasn't surprised at the outflows. Well, that, that means they, I mean, they know what they're doing. They're probably, they've done some modeling that puts the fee in a certain place where it takes, in their mind, they're predicting outflows of a certain amount that, somehow get to an equilibrium that works for their business, right? So, um, you know, I don't think we, I, I, the reason I think a lot of people weren't, I, th I think people were surprised by the by the fee, basically, how high it would be. I think if we had known a while before that it would be as high as it is, then you might have predicted additional um, outflows than, or sorry, you would have predicted these outflows at these magnitudes. On the other hand, um, you know, it's really hard for the market. You know, I believe in efficient markets, but they're very, they're not great at actually pricing the magnitude of flow impact in general, right? Like it's hard to, there's not a lot of data on how, how many X dollars would lead to Y price impact in Bitcoin. Like we or talk of a multiple, right? You, and even if you did, um, it's, it's the mechanics were, are very novel for the Bitcoin ETFs. It's, it's hard to sort of, put your finger on that. So I, I think, um, you know, I, there's a temptation, I think, to say that people who claimed it would be a sell the news event were right. But really, the way I think of that is a sell the news event is a narrative that's overhyped. And then when the narrative hits, it's all, all the juice has been squeezed. I know that's what it looks like. But this is really driven by structural selling and not a change in sentiment, as far as I can tell. Okay, so sell the structure is your thesis here. Then the next question uh, becomes when does the GBTC overhang reach an equilibrium to the point in which this structure now becomes supportive to the market? And the tag on question there is, are ETF shareholders going to be effectively long-term holders and is some of that BTC, now we're up to over 100,000 Bitcoin, non-grayscale Bitcoin, going into these custodians managed by the new nine, 
is that Bitcoin getting tucked away or do you see it as not necessarily? And how does that play into the structural demand going forward? Yeah, I don't know how much uh, will eventually come out of GBTC. Um, that's a that's a hot question. I've asked smart people I know, and I get a range of answers, truly. So it it um, eventually it will stop, right? I, I mean, I think that's that we know. I don't think that it, it's going to go to zero. So that should be heartening. Um, nor should it. I mean, I, I. But it's hard to know that that question. I don't know the answer to. Um, in terms of when we can start seeing the structure, and I want to be clear when I say sell the structure, I don't mean I'm advising people to sell the structure. I mean I think that's what's driving the price at the moment. Um, but when it, in terms of when we will see, um, or you asked Nick about Bitcoin, is it is it squirreled away? Is it hodled, or are we going to see that hundred? currently 100k BTC in the new nine, um, the short-term thinking, sell, move, who knows. I tend to think that um, Bitcoin in an ETF is stickier than Bitcoin on a cryptocurrency exchange, um, just as a flat statement. I think whether this 100k Bitcoin is strong hands, I think I'm not I'm not sure. I'm not ready to say that yet. And, and, and the reason, and I think we talked about this on the last episode we did, but these ETFs I view as primarily driven at financial advisors. Once it's financial advisors that are widely holding the ETF, I think you'll see the Bitcoin be very, very um, sturdy and and um, stubborn to to come in and out of. I think I think financial advisors um, typically, let's say they manage accounts for 100 people, they may rebalance. You know, once they've made a portfolio allocation for their either all of their end clients or the various subsets of suitability and risk appetite that they have, like they're not day trading that, you know, a, a spike here and there up or down in Bitcoin isn't going to shake them out um, there. It's a longer term thesis. Typically, that's why you hire a financial advisor. Typically um, depends on what types there are, but the vast majority of financial advisors are building long term portfolios for end clients and rebalancing periodically um, with like a target allocation for each part of the of the portfolio in in mind and and allocated for what if we get bitcoin into those types of accounts and those portfolios then i think you'll see the etf um coin become a lot stickier than any other vehicle we've seen historically maybe other than michael saylor's hands which are diamond um so yeah that's sort of a now the, the question then becomes when do we start seeing those types of investors be the ones that are buying the etf i don't think these are them these are they i don't think they have entered yet most of those, a huge pile of advised AUM, um, wealth manager advised assets under management, is at bank and broker dealer wealth management platforms, um, and they they don't just add new assets uh, day one. They don't allow their advisors to put their end clients into anything the advisor wants. They have a menu of suitable options. It can be a huge menu, but everything that's added as a potential. Um, asset that you can put end clients into goes through a whole process of suitability and compliance and then sometimes subjectivity, right? I mean, you look at what Vanguard is saying um, and, and there are others, uh, you, you know, right? They're, it's not, they're, they're not really saying that the, the ETFs aren't suitable or that they're unsafe. They're saying they don't believe in Bitcoin as a long-term investment. That's much more of a qualitative and subjective view, but they're free to take it. And there will be other banks and broker dealer wealth management platforms that say, we just don't want it, right? Or it's fine. We're willing to lose clients if they flee elsewhere, they might say. 
and I don't want to pick on anyone in particular, but for example, there are some that don't even that don't allow their advisors to put clients in cannabis ETFs or cannabis equities. Totally legal, totally investable, regulated, right? Literally the underlying regulated, at least in whichever states that they're being grown in. But also the the vehicles themselves, the public equities, the, the any ETFs that wrap around them are regulated by financial regulators in the U.S. So t- totally compliant in that sense, but they still don't have them. So the question is, when will they add them? I think they take uh, the Bitcoin ETFs. I think they take three to nine to 12 months, even the first movers that go in year one, um, some a lot longer, right? So not until we get that market in, uh, do I think we'll really get the sticky ETF holders, but I think eventually that's what you'll see because you'll start to see quarterly rebalance, by the way, which will dampen volatility because if you're targeting a 1% allocation of Bitcoin, it goes up a lot. Uh, into your rebalance period, you sell it down back to 1%. If it goes down, you buy it, right? So that that will compress volatility once advisors get involved. Alex Thorne, head of research at Galaxy. Alex, thank you so much for your insights. Uh, please give people uh, where they can find you and your work online. Thank you, Nick. I really love coming on Bitcoin Layer. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, check us out, galaxy.com slash research. Uh, at Intangible Coins on Twitter is my handle. Thanks, Nick. The Bitcoin Layer is proud to be sponsored by River. Go check them out at river.com slash TBL for up to $100 worth of Bitcoin for free when you go sign up. River is a Bitcoin-only exchange. That means there is no confusion when you go there. Send your money to the exchange, buy Bitcoin, and withdraw it via Lightning Network like that. River.com slash TBL for a special offer.